The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. When I was the president of the trial lawyers for Washington State, I was very considered when I created rules for how we were going to do meetings. And one of the ways I decided that we were going to do meetings was to figure out how to give voice to everybody and not the few. Whether you're in a meeting, whether you're before court, whether you're just talking to your opponent, trial lawyers are not always on even footing when it comes to having your say. I certainly didn't start out that way. I had to figure out how to get my words in. If it was in front of a judge, it was kind of nice because the plaintiff would go first, then the defendants would go second, then the plaintiff would go next, typically. Or if there was a motion, the moving party went first, and then the responding party went second, and then the moving party went first. And you'd have to ask the court for permission if you wanted to speak or do anything out of turn. Those rules were equalizers. They still are equalizers, but there is so much more conversation that happens in trial law, plaintiff law, that is not before a court. In fact, most of it is not before a court. The advent of email is interesting because it seems like you're speaking, I guess, for lawyers, but you're writing and you can only do one person at a time. I've noticed it also with Zoom. You can't talk all at the same time. The problem is, is that it's hard sometimes to get a word in if someone else is dominating the conversation. So I want to take us back uh, and look at the origins of this from the, mm, let's call it the non-dominant perspective of the profession, the minority of the profession, whether it's female or minority. And I'm going to use it from my perspective because that's the perspective that I know and I'm going to generalize it to a certain extent. But as always, consider the source Take it for what it's worth and don't think that I am condemning or uh, not condemning people based upon these absolutes. They are examples. It starts off, of course, in school. You're taught to raise your hand before you speak. At least you used to be. And then the rule starts to be broken. The rule starts to be broken by about the fourth or fifth grade, always by the guys, at least in my time. The guys would start breaking the rules and the teachers wouldn't seem to care and they would just call on them. And then you get this dialogue between the guys and the rest of us would be sitting there watching it like a ping pong match back and forth, giving up, saying anything. I think it's gotten better maybe. I think that teachers are more aware of how exclusion occurs and how it's important to invite other people into the conversation. But in the practice of law, where you're adversarial and you're trying to dominate, those niceties don't exist. Well, let's look at some of the criticisms that have been uh, thrown at me, and then let's talk about where that comes from. A, I talk too much. This is normally in a group setting. Or with a defense lawyer, I talk too much. Number two, I'm trying to dominate them. Don't try to dominate me. You're being too aggressive, Karen. Number three, Karen, I'm trying to say something. 
don't interrupt me. I'm not done. It's a version of all the same ones. Back off. I want to talk. It's normally accompanied by eye rolling or exasperation because I, Karen, am so pushy. Well, why am I pushy? And am I really pushy? Am I any pushier than someone that's a foot taller than me and has different hormones. All right. I don't want this just to be some sexist kind of a thing, but sexism is all over this. How many times is a guy chastised for talking too much or dominating a conversation or not letting someone have a word in? can be exasperating, but people don't challenge them for that or pigeonhole them and say that they're being rude because of it. It's just kind of like, oh, they're a guy. It goes with the profession. They're lawyers. They talk a lot. It's very double standard-ish. Well, in fact, there's times when I do dominate discussions in my law firm. Sometimes I did it when I was president of that trial bar association And often it was because A, I had opinions or B, because I was running things and doing a whole bunch of jobs that needed to be reported on. Typically the latter, doing a lot of jobs and needing to report on them. But there's this backstory that I keep talking about. I wasn't always like this. Sure. I was like it in my family because I was the oldest of five and they all had to... (laughs) stand and turn and wait for me to finish speaking. But I was downwind from my mom and my dad who totally could dominate all the, 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 the talking. But I remember feeling in law school, in college, on the various committees I've been in meetings, especially uh, for um, early on in my uh, Washington trial lawyer days and then in my certainly in AAJ that there wasn't a lot of space available. And the space was being taken up by people that had a lot to say and felt entitled to say it and didn't think twice about the fact that maybe there were other people with different perspectives who might want to join in. It's a lack of sensitivity, a lack of kind of, I want to almost say compassion that your opinion is so good that you should dominate. I'm talking about in the group setting. So for me personally, I need to figure out how to say anything. And it wasn't easy. Especially as a younger lawyer where you're just intimidated or you're not sure if you have the right things that you should say. And you're just going to sit back and let everyone else do the talking and absorb it in and figure it out on your own before you say anything. Problem there is that people form impressions very quickly and you sit back and you don't say anything. First meeting, that's okay. The second meeting, that's okay. But then you start to get a reputation, which is, yeah, not really interested. Doesn't have a lot to say. (laughs) You don't want that reputation. If you're a young lawyer going to meetings and you're just sitting there trying to absorb it all and not saying anything, that's your reputation. Doesn't really know very much, isn't really that interested or that involved, doesn't really have anything to say. You can be thinking it, but that doesn't matter. It's what you do. 
that matters in a group setting. And then there's that whole thing of raising the hand. You know, as an adult, I still will raise my hand to try to get a word in. And normally I'll do it with my eyes kind of like raise, like, oh, teacher, would you please call on me kind of thing. Honestly, it still works because it's so unusual for people to raise their hands. And now if you raise your hand in a lawyer group setting, you kind of stand out and people go, oh, there's someone that's raising their hand. If you sit there and wait for your turn, you might be waiting forever. If you're trying to follow your mannerisms of being polite, you can be polite forever. It's like, I can just remember these feelings. I don't do it so much now because I just barge right in. But back then, when I was more polite, I would sit there patiently waiting for a gap so that I could hop in there. But before I would get in there, someone else would just jump on top of the other one and start talking on top of them until one of them gave up and the next one would go. Lawyers are the worst at this. We are. Of all the professions, I think the lawyers are probably the worst. I mean, we're trained to talk. We want to persuade. We want to be dominant and aggressive and we want to win. So what does this all mean? Why am I even talking about this? A, I sometimes get irritated when people on my side, in my own firm even, will say things to me like, Karen, you know, you kind of talk too much. Well, no doubt I talk too much. I have too many jobs. I have to report on all these different things that I do at our firm meetings. That, of course, has got me to think of, well, maybe I should do less. Why do I take on so much stuff? Wouldn't I be happier just doing my cases and doing my little area and then going with that? Why does my firm have the benefit of me doing so much? Because I've always done so much. I like being a, I'm such a control trick. I have to control everything, have my hand in everything. It's kind of true. I decided to, to do this podcast, first of all, to deal with talking, but also kind of t- to talk myself out of always doing so much. I need an intervention. Today is my intervention and reflections on talking too much. I think there's a direct correlation for me of doing too much and talking too much on something. Because in normal settings and group settings, like with my family, with my friends, I never talk too much. In fact, people tell me that I'm pretty chill and I sit back and I like to listen to other people talking. I mean, that's my nature. I don't want to just sit there telling stories and dominating the whole group. I like listening to other people. They interest me. But in the legal setting, I have to talk too much. So I guess I'm going to listen to this and say, I need to get out of this group. I need to take back my jobs and not do so many. I've already done it for WSA and AAJ. I've backed out too many jobs and I've just gone without, which means I've put all of that into the law firm. So now I need to backtrack a little bit out of that. So this whole thing about talking a lot, 
outside of the group setting, let's go to the, oh, and one tip on the group setting. When you run a meeting, don't just pick pick the people that want to say something to talk. Make sure everybody is given the opportunity to talk. That means often inviting people into the conversation. Attorney number B hasn't spoken for two firm meetings. Ask a nice question of attorney number B or ask their opinion on a subject matter and be interested when they have something to say. It's not good enough that we just open a forum, invite people in, especially when we're looking at differences in experience level, differences in background, differences in comfortability, and trying to foster diversity between the different hormonal groups. We need to invite in and we need to somehow figure out how to get other people to not talk so much. I've thought about having, um, you know, one of those little sand timers and, or a dinghy bell and dinging people off when they just keep going and won't stop and won't take a hint. In the actual part of talking on phones and doing Zooms, it's very interesting. Um, I typically have this issue on the bigger cases where there is a bunch of defense lawyers um, and the plaintiff lawyers are led by me. Um, it's an increasing dynamic. I really like it. I really like these big multiplex complex litigations with lots of defense lawyers and a big plaintiff group, but I'm this, this mouthpiece for the plaintiff group. What happens is a plaintiff counsel will defer to me and let me present our side on behalf of us, but the defense won't defer to each other and they all want to say something. So they are, they have way more speakers, um, people that want to talk about their position and I just don't ever think they even listen. They just want to get their position out. And they think that they can bludgeon you over the head with their position and you'll just give up and think that they're so great. Um, and, and we should all adopt that position. In those conversations, normally we get along fine in terms of we're not hostile. We are not aggressive with each other. But the whole bantering back and forth that happens in uh, civil litigation, personal injury litigation, it can escalate. And there's been a whole bunch of stuff written about civility and I've talked about civility and I, I don't want to mock the term or concept of civility, but I mean, we're civilized. We live in a civilized world. That doesn't mean that we have to only be nice. Where did this whole thing about you only can be nice come from? It doesn't belong in the world of litigation. In the world of litigation, you need to be professional. And that might mean that you have to be pointed and aggressive and stand up for your client and tell the other side that they're wrong unapologetically. Telling them, everyone they have to be nice is what got us, got us into this problem to begin with in terms of especially my hormonal group uh, 
sitting back and being dominated in discussions. In front of the court, it's so different because of the rules there and the way that this court safeguards everything. I never, almost never feel that when I'm in court or before a judge that I'm not able to have my say or that the other side is unfairly speaking over me. That doesn't really ever happen because you have, there's a volley involved and the court's monitoring the volley. They're the referee. That works. Most judges do a, a great job of that. I guess at the end of the day, what I'm most irritated with is the double standard and the lack of understanding of how hard it is still for a female attorney to dominate a conversation when they should dominate a conversation because they're the person that has the most to say because they've taken on the most jobs that needed to be done or they have the position that needs to be advocated for the most strenuously. An attorney, regardless of their, if they're female, male, or non-binary, should be allowed to have their say without being name-called by the other side or by being, told, by being told that they talk too much. When they don't talk too much, it just seems like they talk too much because they're not the white male majority who's used to talking too much. These are my thoughts as I ponder how to unentangle myself from too many jobs. Over and out.